Take your Bible, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 21. God makes all things new, and he, be, he, he does that with us. He makes us new. He takes us and makes us into something new, which is wonderful. And I'm sure you've noticed, as we've been studying the book of Acts thus far, um, we've been in Acts since September of last year, believe it or not. And uh, this is message number 29 in the book of Acts. And we've been following the disciples' message and the growth of the gospel as it goes out, spreads out. And Jesus commanded his disciples here in this passage, Acts chapter 1. It says that being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, therefore... When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And they have done that so far, being witnesses and by preaching messages of the gospel, preaching to people throughout the book of Acts, we follow this commissioning from Jesus, and next, the speeches and the sermons the apostles give to different groups of people. And it becomes apparent as you read the book of Acts that it could be the travels and the journeys that we see are just connecting points between messages, almost. Like, they have to get here so they can preach here, and they have to get here so they can preach here. I just went through and thought about all the different sermons we have in Acts, and Acts 2, Peter preaches at Pentecost, and Acts 3, Peter has a preaching after the healing of the lame man. In Acts 4, there's a defense before the Sanhedrin of the council. Stephen's speech before the council is in Acts 7, before he is stoned. In Acts 10, Peter preaches to the household of Cornelius. In Acts 11, Peter's sermon in Jerusalem to defend the Gentile ministry. And then we have a shift in the book of Acts, really, where the first part of the book is mostly Peter's messages. We also have Stephen's message. But here we have Paul's sermons beginning Really in Acts 13 when he preaches to the uh, Pisidian Antioch, uh, the synagogue there, and then he preaches in Athens. This is the message to the altar to the unknown God. We remember that from, from Acts chapter 17 and then his farewell address in Acts chapter 20. And there are different audiences, there are different locations, there are different even messages here, but the task, the, the goal, the commission that Jesus had given them goes forward to take the gospel of Jesus Christ forward, which is why I've titled the message, Taking Every Opportunity. Taking Every Opportunity. Inside your bulletin, you'll notice there's uh, an outline for your message that might be helpful for you to follow along as we look at God's Word today. What I noticed as I read through the book of Acts and as I studied this in preparations to preach here even this morning is how often these sermons were just taking advantage of an opportunity that God allowed to be. They took advantage of an opportunity that God orchestrated. Sometimes the crowd was interested in what they had to say. Sometimes the crowd would be listening, and other times the crowd would be very opposed to what was being preached, regardless of whether there was a sensitive crowd or whether there was an oppositional crowd. Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the others preached, and they kept the mission full center. They preached fearlessly. And Paul saw his circumstances here as under the sovereign hand of God for the purpose of doing what God had called him to do. Let's pray, and then we'll look at the passage before us 
this morning. Father, we ask your grace upon us. We give it, I pray you give us, Lord, your wisdom. As we look into your word and we see again Paul telling the story of his life and the transformation that happens there, Father, may we commit this week to take every opportunity we have to present the gospel to others and to use what you've done in our hearts to communicate the truth to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Look, by way of review, briefly, as we look at this passage, uh, Paul has committed to come back to Jerusalem. He is going to face certain danger all along the way. The Lord has warned him in every city. People have come to him and say, Paul, you're going to be bound. You are going to be, uh, you're going to be bound by, by cords. You're going to be handed over to the secular authorities. And yet Paul said, I must continue to go forward towards Jerusalem. His heart was set that way, and he was bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And, and as these last week we saw, as, as Paul arrives in Jerusalem, he engages in some behavior there with the, with the Jews there. He does some things in the temple. And then there are these, these Jews from Asia who were part of his ministry or aware of his ministry in Asia and his church planning ministry. They come down and start troublemaking. And they see Paul in the temple and they say, he has brought a Greek into the temple. He has defiled the temple. And he wants, he's teaching people not to be circumcised. He is defiling the laws. And they, they lie about Paul. And then a mob forms. Remember that we talked about this last week. The mob forms and drags Paul out of the temple, begins beating him with the intent to kill him. It says uh, in the, look at verse 31, as they were seeking to kill him, news came from the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The picture here is that there was some sort of setting where the, the Romans had guards on hand when there would be Jewish festivals and Jewish feast days because these things were not too uncommon. There would be some riots and some problems. And so when the commotion started coming up immediately, the soldiers descended upon the scene to establish, to establish order. And it says in verse 33 that the commander came near, took him, and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked Paul who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitudes cried out at one thing and one another. So when they could not ascertain the truth, because the tumult, he commanded them to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs... He had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. And for the multitude, the people would, were following after, crying away with him. We have this scene. I want you to put yourself in this scene. The chaos surrounding the Apostle Paul as he's being carried, being bound by chains into a barracks away from the mob just so they can hear him defend himself. This is the loud group surrounding him, desiring to destroy him. And I want you to notice what happens in this moment. Look at verse 37. And as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. I implore you, notice this, permit me to speak to the people. I want you to notice what Paul does here. It's an example for us today of someone who is bold in the gospel. The first thing is he speaks to the crowd that Jesus has given him. And I want to challenge you. You need to speak to the crowd Jesus gives you. That crowd may not always be the crowd you would anticipate. First, he gets permission to speak. He's brought up there. He has chains around him. And this commander, we find out later his name is Lysias, 
Claudius Lysias. He speaks, and Lysias is shocked when he hears Paul talk because there's been so much chaos and so much noise. He doesn't know who this guy is. All he knows is that there's a lot of chaos around him, so he's dragging him in, and he asks permission. He says, may I speak to you? And, and he had assumed that Paul was this Egyptian terrorist. Now, we know from Josephus and others there was, this, there was this thing that happened uh, previous to Paul where there was a man who was a, a terrorist who whipped up all these people who was Egyptian, and, and they were going to attack, and he got them all ready to attack, and he left them and fled uh, out, of, out of town. And so there were all these people who were angry at this man, this leader of this vigilante group or this uh, uh, sort of terrorist cell group, and they were angry that he had left town. And so when, when the, the man, remember that Lysias had been there, had, 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 had seen Paul being beat up, he assumed, oh, that's what this guy is. He's probably the Egyptian. But when Paul opens his mouth, what comes out is not uh, broken Greek or uh, Egyptian. It's educated Greek. And that's why it says in your Bible, um, can you speak Greek? Maybe that's better like, oh, you're speaking Greek? Like, what? This is not what I expected. I did not expect this man who's been beaten up and, and bloodied and, and has been bound uh, as a, to, to speak with such educated speech. And so he says, no, I, I'm not Greek. I, I'm actually a Jew from Tarsus. It's not an insignificant city. And then Paul saw an opportunity to preach where most of us would see an opportunity to flee. I want you to notice here, as I put on the screen behind me, rather than trying to get away from the people, Paul was doing everything he could to speak to the people. And I think this is one of our flaws as so many Christians. We do not see the crowds that Jesus puts in front of us. We, we miss this. A lot of us would not have seen this opportunity, but, but Paul then asks, can I speak to the people? Look at verse 40. It says, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And then there was a great silence. He spoke to them in the Hebrew language or in Aramaic, saying, so Paul goes to the crowd and he puts up his hands to quiet them. And as he's in this exalted state, he's, he's, he's brought up the hill there, up on this, on this, towards these barracks. He's able to see the crowd. They're able to see him. And he, and he quiets the crowd, and he speaks to them in the language that, that they would know in this Aramaic or this common language. Now, God had chosen the audience and the setting. God had chosen the audience and the setting, both of which Paul would probably not have chosen. Like if you say, Paul, what's your ideal setting for a speech? He says, well, I'd love people to be hating me, and I'd love to be bound up, you know, I, uh, my legs and everything. Uh, no, he's, he's, he has he not, not really picked this scenario, but God picked it for him. And so many of us, we are nervous or we are tentative because we're not in control. You realize God is in control even when we're not in control, right? You know that. And when God puts a crowd in front of you, when Jesus brings a crowd, we need to be willing to preach. And my, my question to you is, who is the crowd Jesus has given you? We find ourselves in different places at different times. How do you handle the crowd Jesus puts in front of you? It may be hostile. It might be a hostile crowd. And so many of us back down and we wither under examination when people are hostile towards us. They might be a friendly crowd, but I would encourage you today to commit to speaking to the crowd Jesus gives you. Secondly, I want you to notice as we move on that you should tell the lost how Jesus changed you. You don't have to be a, a, a scholar to do this. You just have to know your story. I want you to notice that Paul, as he takes this opportunity to speak, he shares his personal story of transformation. He is not always the guy who he is. Has been, he has not always been the person who he is right now. As he stands there boldly speaking the truth for Jesus, two people who hate him, there he stands bound and beaten and chained. 
Paul has been transformed. He's a different person than he used to be. And the main reason Paul stands here and gives this speech can be related to the defense of the charges that have been brought against him. There are three movements to this story. First, he tells the background of who he was. Second, he tells the transformation of what he became. And third, he tells the purpose of God, what God wants him to do. Look with me as he opens himself up and tells other people of how God took him from where he was to where he is. Verse 1, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of elders, for whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. I want you to notice as he begins here, he tells his background, his background as a committed Jew. He was a committed Jew, but friend, being religious does not mean you're right with God. You can be religious, you can be committed to your faith, but that does not mean you stand righteous before God because Paul had done all the things that a religious person in this day would have done and what they would have considered important. Notice he, he even what we call name drops. He name drops Gamaliel. <clears throat> now we know Gamaliel back from Acts chapter 5. Gamaliel shows up in Acts 5 as the Jewish leader. He's a very important figure in Jerusalem. And he's the man who, when uh, the Jews are trying to decide how to handle this new religion, Gamaliel sits his friends down and he says, all right, here's the deal. If this is from men, it will peter out. If this is from God, you can't stop it. So take your hands off it and don't do anything and let it run its course. That's what he said. That was Gamaliel. And I, I contend that if Gamaliel had that much clout to speak in Acts 5, as Paul mentions him here, he's a man who everyone respects and they know. And, and Paul says, I, I learned at his feet. <clears throat> I was there and I was taught in the law. I was so zealous. I was persecuting the early church. I was going out and I was destroying people's lives. And he points to the Jewish leadership. And he says, you remember me. He said, I was the guy who was requesting letters to go to Damascus and to round up people. Like, just talk to the high priest. Talk to those people. They know who I am. They remember who I was. He was a committed, sincere person. But friend, you can be committed and you can be sincere in your religion and going straight to hell. Because sincerity does not mean that, you're connect, that you have Christ in your life. Being committed to a religion does not mean that you've been saved. There's a difference between being religious and knowing Jesus as your Savior. He had a committed background. But you know what? There is a transformation here. He went from a, a committed to Jew to a converted Jew. He came face to face with Jesus, the one he hated, the one he persecuted. This man had tried to eliminate the followers of Jesus, but Jesus confronted Paul with a conversion experience that, just to be frank, none of us will ever have this. None of us will be on our way home today and have a light shine out of heaven and speak to us in this way. This was a very unique moment, and God used Paul in this unique way. But I want you to notice this transformation story, and we'll see some parallels in our life. Verse 6, it says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Struck by a blinding night at noon. A blinding light at noon. Imagine that. It's noon. It's the middle of the day. But what kind of blinding light would have been to overwhelm the light of the sun? Paul is blinded by this light, and he recognizes the voice as being of the Lord. But who exactly would confront Paul like this? Who had, who had Paul been persecuting? He says, you persecuted me. And Paul is thinking to himself, who did I offend? Who, who have I persecuted here? And we don't hear Paul's inflection here, but it's understandable that, that he pauses here and emphasizes this fact when he speaks to the, the Jews here, that, that it was Jesus whom he was persecuting, that he, by persecuting the church of Christ, was persecuting Jesus Christ. And look at verse 9. He says, and then those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. It's likely that if you put these stories together and understand what's going on, it's likely that they heard sounds, they heard like thunderings, they heard noises, but they didn't understand the, the voice coming from heaven. They heard something, but they didn't know what it was. They didn't articulate it. Paul was being spoken to by Jesus. So I said, verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? Notice his immediate response is submission. And the Lord said to me, arise, go into Damascus, and there you shall be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Jesus gave Paul directions, and Paul went from being opposed to him to doing exactly what he said. Paul, Paul goes from opposing the Lord to saying, what do you want me to do, Lord? And in these moments, he is transformed, and this is the story of what he became. He goes from being an enemy of God to being in Christ, to being one who is a, a new creation. In fact, the Bible tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. Things change. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. If you are, if you are in Christ, you are new. And then we continue the story in verse 12 as Ananias shows up, a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, uh, with a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him, and then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men for what you have seen and heard. And, and now why are you waiting? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This, this Jewish leader, Ananias, calls this, this, this Christian brother, Paul, he calls him a brother. He, he accepts him into the faith, and God honored this, this prayer. Paul received his sight. Notice the phrase, God of our fathers. This is the same God of the Old Testament. This is not a new religion in the sense that this is not a new, a new God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, and this is the same God of the Old Testament. He said he, he, Paul would know his will. He would see the name, the just one, the, the, the Messiah here. He would hear his voice, and then notice he says, you'll be a witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. You will, you will have a job, Paul, and that is to tell other people about what you've seen and heard, that you will tell others about the gospel message. And then, and then the Bible tells us here that, that Ananias commands him. He says, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And the way this is written, if you'll notice that last phrase, calling on the name of the Lord, is a, is a, is a phrase in the Greek that tells us that's what's happening. He says, since you've called on the name of the Lord, now you need to get up and you need to get baptized. The baptism always in Scripture follows one's salvation. If you look at the pattern of Scripture always, it's being saved and baptized and joining the churches, the three steps of the Christian faith. Being saved, and then you are baptized as a sign of your salvation, as a demonstration to others that you are saved. as an outward working of what's happened in your heart, and then you are to join the church following those things. 
here the water, represent, water baptism represents the sins being washed away that we've been buried with Christ and raised again with him, one who has committed you, a converted you. And then finally, the last part here is that he is a commissioned Jew. I think this is another important part of his testimony because Paul's story continues as he goes back to Jerusalem after his conversion in verse 17. He says, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him, that's Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. See, Paul is not one to defile the temple. He's actually praying in the temple. He's in a trance when the Lord speaks to him. And if you study the Bible at length, you might read a story like this and say, that sounds sort of familiar. I, I think there's something going on here. There's some connections with the Old Testament, and there is. There's the story of Isaiah and his vision of God in the temple was very similar to this. There are similar commissionings here in that they both are in a trance. They both see the Lord. They both are commissioned by the Lord. But what's amazing is that whereas Isaiah the prophet is told by God to go to the people of Israel and preach to them, Jesus told Paul to do what? To get away, <laughs> to, to leave. He says, you've got to get away from Jerusalem. You've got to go somewhere else because they're not going to receive your testimony. Jesus says, get out of Jerusalem. The Jews are not going to receive your message. They're not going to listen to you. Look at verse 19. He says, so I said, Lord, they know that in every city I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes to those who were killing him. Uh, can you hear the, the grief in his voice as he remembers the pain he caused people and the suffering he caused people, the fact that he was there when Stephen was murdered? stoned there to death, crushed by the weight of stones and bruised, crushed and disfigured. And he was there and he watched as his friends and fellow Jews did that to this martyr. And he's very aware that might await him. And he says, I, I, I knew this. I was there. I saw this. And notice verse 21 when Jesus said, he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. I believe that as Paul spoke to the crowd he had, that Jesus had given him, what did Paul do? He shared the story of how Jesus had changed him. Now, on those three sides, there's background, transformation, and purpose. If you'll notice, on the right-hand side of those three, I want you to write out three things. Beside the first one, I want you to write out what I was. Next to background, write out what I was. When you tell your story, it's in three simple movements. What I was. Here's what I was. I was someone who hated God. I was someone who sinned and did not love the Lord. I, I, I wanted my own way. You, you fill in the blank there. All of us have similar stories in this, in this department. And, and, and you say, what I was. And then the second part, you can say, what I became. Because, because when Christ enters someone's life, it changes us. He changes us. The Spirit of God changes us. And we can now have the freedom to obey Him. And what you become is different than what you were. All things are become new. I love the song that Sydney was singing as I was just grinning from ear to ear. If, if I wasn't on my face, I was in my heart when she was singing. I don't know if she saw me or not. But I was thinking, what a wonder. Like, he is the Alpha and the Omega, and he makes all things new. That's what he does. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says that. I'm making all things new. And he starts with our hearts. 
making us new, new creation. What I was, what I became, and under purpose, under commissioned you, I want you to put off to the right there what Jesus wants me to do. Because all of us have been given a responsibility. What does Jesus want me to do? You're telling your story. You say, look, this is what I was. This is what God made me when I trusted him. He saved me. He forgave me. I'm now a child of God. I have redemption and peace with God. And God's given me a job to do, which is to tell others about him. And God has given us all a commission. God has given us all a job to do. And you need to think about your story in those three movements. And that's so helpful for us to think because Paul spoke to the crowd Jesus had given him. Paul shared his story. And this is a pattern for us to take every opportunity to share the gospel. But once you share the gospel, then you let go. Because guess what happens? At that point, you have to trust. Look at that. I had it up there. I'm sorry. I forgot to do that. Um, After you let go, what are you doing? You trust God with the results. You cannot force anyone to accept Jesus. Your job is to preach and to talk, and you let God do the work. You let God do the speaking, because Paul's sermon had been taking an effect on his audience as he made every possible effort to reach them where they were. I mean, you look at how many times Paul was working to reach them. He, he used their language. He spoke in Aramaic. He could have spoken in Greek. Everyone would have understood him, but he's speaking in Aramaic, in the Hebrew language, to the people who would hear him, the Jews. And as he speaks in this language, Lysias, this, this Greek, is watching him, and he doesn't know what's going on. I think that's kind of a fascinating little story. We'll find out that's important in a second. And he's spoken with their concerns in mind. If you go back and look at the story and understand that their concern with him was that he was denigrating or desecrating the temple and telling people not to follow the law, he often, he stitches through this whole story about how Ananias was a devout Jew and how he did this in the temple. And he, he, he makes sure they understand his prayer in the temple, etc. that he was not one. He, had rever- he was not one who was desecrating the temple. He had reverence for the temple and for the Lord. In fact, he had not been intentionally provocative in unnecessary areas. And I think our responsibility is to take every opportunity God has given us to share the story of Jesus and not be unnecessarily provocative. We're not to be, we, we are responsible for how we speak to people, but we're not responsible for how they receive the message. And I think some people are unnecessarily provocative so that when people reject, they can say, well, I tried. You need to try to meet people where they are. And you need to try to understand people from where they are, not fight over unnecessary things. That's what Paul was doing. But notice how the people responded to him. First, there was rejection in verse 22. And when they listened to him until this word. Now, what is this word? This is the part in verse 21 where he says, Christ told him to go to the Gentiles. And this was just too much for them. That the Christ would commission him to go and spread the gospel to the Gentiles was, you know, was the worst thing they could imagine. They raised their voices, and they said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Kill him, is what they're saying. Verse 23, they cried out, tore their clothes, and threw dust in the air. They would not accept the message of Christ. Paul had been faithful, and the message of Christ was being preached. And Paul here is demonstrating that he was an opponent of the message until he wasn't. Now he was a, someone who was preaching the message. And as they are so angry, 
they begin to hurl, throw, they begin to ready themselves to hurl stones at Paul to kill him. They throw dust in the air. They take off their clothes, their, their outer garments there to, to get ready to, to kill him. And they have these murderous threats away with such a fellow. Paul is threatened. And Paul has taken the time to preach to them, but they have completely rejected him. And yet we see protection once again from external forces. Look at verse 24. I want you to just put yourself in Lysias, the commander's position, as you've been watching this whole thing unfold. Okay, first, you get this guy. He, there's a big riot. You pull this guy away from the clutches of the Jewish mob, and you pull him up, and you have him bound, and you say, what's your name? And it's so loud, you can't understand anything the guy's saying. You say, let's get him up here. You pull him up here, finally away from everyone else, and you say, who are you? And the guy speaks to you in educated Greek. Oh, wait, I thought you were a, an Egyptian. Okay, you're not Egyptian. You're some sort of educated Greek. Okay, you're a Jew from Tarsus, but educated in Greek. Got it. And then now he goes and he speaks Aramaic to these people, and you're sitting there um, confused because as he's speaking Aramaic, then there's a big riot once again. Like, you don't know what's going on. Can you imagine how confused this man would have been? The crowd erupts in violence for, like, no reason at all. He's, everything's going fine, and then all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> explosion. But look at verse 24. The commander ordered him, brought in the barracks, and said that he should be examined under scourging so he might know why they shouted so against him. He says, I am not getting fooled again. I want you to come in here, Paul, and we're going to strap you down, and we're going to whip you with a cat of nine tails, and we're going to torture you until we figure out what's going on here. Because I think he feels like Paul has somewhat betrayed him, that he has, he has worked him in order to speak to the, to the group there, and that in the middle of this chaotic scene, Paul is once again facing scourging. And how does God protect Paul? Look at verse 25. And when they had bound him with thongs, so they, they take straps, and they strap him to uh, some sort of... Um, uh, piece where he, his hands are stretching his back, and he is stretched where they're going to take a whip, and they are going to whip him and ask him questions here. He says to the centurion who stood by, who's probably the man actually fastening these straps, he says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? So, so Paul doesn't say, help. He doesn't say, excuse me, sir, I'm a Roman. He asks a question. I, the, it's unbelievable. The, 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 the way he does this, it, you can see that he's trusting the Lord all along the way. And, and the centurion, it says, heard that. He went and told the commander, and he said, take care of what you do, for this man is a Roman. So as they've stretched him out, we don't really know all the details of Roman citizenry and what, what it involved, but it did mean that if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be tortured without a trial. You could not be imprisoned without a trial. There were certain rights that were afforded to you that were not afforded to someone else. So again, imagine Lysias. He thinks he's an Egyptian. Then he knows he's a Jew from Tarsus who's speaking Aramaic. And now he hears that he's a Roman citizen. Can you imagine the confusion? This guy's like, what is going on with this guy? I can't imagine what this guy is trying to pull on me. So he goes up and he, he speaks to him. Look at verse 27. The commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? <laughs> Straight into the point. And he said, yes. He can't believe it. So the commander answers, and this is a little humor, okay? <laughs> the commander answered, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. But Paul said, but I was born a citizen. So once again, that happened in Roman citizenship, you could obtain your citizenship by way of paying for it. And a lot of people did. And Lysias apparently had obtained his citizenship by paying for it. And the way this is written, more than one commentator I read pointed out that this is almost like he's saying, man, they'll sell a citizenship to anybody these days. There's a little bit of a biting edge in what he's saying. He's like, with a large sum of money, I bought my citizenship. Like, I can't believe 
Someone like you has a citizenship. And Paul turns to him and says, I didn't have to buy mine. I was born a Roman citizen. Now, imagine again the confusion filling this man's mind. I more than once this week just kind of shook my head and said, wow, what can you imagine being this fella and trying to put this all together? Verse 29. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. Examine him. Put that in quotes. Uh, they were going to torture him. Okay? Torture him. Withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out he was a Roman because he had bound him. God used Paul's past to protect him. Paul was a, a, a Roman, and he was a Jew. And he used how God had brought him along to speak to the people who God had put in his path. And as we conclude here, I'd like to just draw your attention to this. I believe that Paul, in using his background and experience to find openings with people, he spoke Greek to the official, he spoke Aramaic to the crowds, and he was sensitive to concerns. I believe our first responsibility as Christians when it comes to this is we ought to connect with people. You need to connect with people. Be like Paul and, and see the, the, the people that are there. And, and, and when, God brings a, when Jesus brings a crowd before you, when Jesus brings people along your way, see them as divine appointments. Some of you are really good at this. I love talking to some of y'all here at church, and you'll say something like, man, God brought someone along my path, and we had this great conversation, and you tell me about it, and it's awesome. I love hearing how God worked it out, and you see it that way. That's the important thing is you see God at work. You don't just, uh, you, you actually acknowledge God, and you thank God for it. I mean, Paul's sermon in Athens was huge and different from his sermon to the Jews. The message was the same, but the strategy is a little bit different. You need to connect with people, and this is so simple, but you need to share the gospel. You need to share the gospel. And I, I am speaking to myself here. I'm speaking to all of us here. We need to share the gospel. We need to take every opportunity. H- how many times do we have opportunities that just walk right by us? I, it's been so easy for Paul to just escape, just get me out of here safely. But he doesn't do that. He sees a gathered group of people, and he thinks, I need to share the gospel with these people. And friends, do you see people around you and think, I need to share the gospel with these people? I, I, need, to, I need to say something to these folks and take every opportunity. I, I ask you this week as we, as we close here, would you commit this week, simple, simple challenge. Would you commit this week to finding someone that you can share your testimony? What I was, what I became, what Jesus called me to do. Do you have a testimony? Do you know what God did in your life when you trusted him as your savior, if you have? And can you share that testimony with someone this week? And it can be someone you've never met before. It can be someone you know really well. However God is working, would you allow God to work to bring that crowd together? Whoever the crowd is. Maybe the crowd is one. Maybe the crowd is large. They could be hostile. They could be friendly. Be sensitive to that crowd. Reach those people. Share the gospel with Jesus and trust God with the results. You know, when Jesus tells a story in the gospels, he talks often about how a sower went out to sow and he sowed seeds upon different kinds of soil. And as he scattered the seeds, some fell on good ground, some fell on stony ground. Some fell by the waysides, and, and some, you know, the seed fell on different grounds. There's a sense in which when we spread the gospel, there is a little bit of the indiscriminate spreading of the good news. That you know full well that some people are not going to receive the gospel, and that's okay. You're still to spread the seed. Because you don't know where the good ground is. You don't know who's going to receive the truth and believe the truth. So I challenge you today, connect with people. Don't hole up. One of the worst things that happened to us with all the COVID garbage that went on was that people, people, 
disconnected from each other, didn't they? And they got to be on their own, and they didn't want to talk to anybody. And I noticed as we started talking about this, when we go to Walmart, and you used to be able to talk to people, and people would just kind of do this, like, no, <laughs> I don't want to talk to you, weird person. Who are you? you know? And that's, that's, uh, we're thankful that most of that is, is far gone. But friends, don't let those habits stick around now. We need to step forward and talk to people. Strike up conversations. Become friendly. Connect with people. Connect with your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors' names? People who live next to you, what's their name? How about people who live across the road? What's their name? Do you know them? If you live in an apartment, who lives upstairs? Who lives downstairs? Try to connect with people. And when you connect with people, share the gospel with them. Commit this week to share the testimony with someone. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you today that we would have faith in you, that we would trust in you, that we would have our zeal that comes from you, that your rich grace would impart to us what we need to say in these kind of circumstances. We would not take anything for granted that we don't under, believe that anybody knows everything, that we would, we would share the gospel with anybody. And, and Father, I pray that you give us opportunities this week as we commit now, as many in this church right now, if everyone in this church is committing to share the good news with someone this week, I pray that you would bring many along the paths. We would have a great report next week of folks who've been able to share the good news with someone. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you the opportunity now to say, Lord, yes, I'm making this commitment. I will... I will speak to the crowd Jesus brings. And if it's a crowd of one or if it's a crowd of five or whatever, Lord, I will talk to whoever you bring my way. And maybe that's what you have to say and say, Lord, yes, that's me. I'm not asking you to raise your hand or make any big scene of things, but I want you now to, 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 make, to put a stake in the ground and, and make a, a commitment to God that right now you say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I'll do it. Amen. I will do it. You bring people my way, I'll do it. And be like Paul, who was fearlessly willing to do it, even though people around him did not love him, they did not care for him, and they rejected him. Father, I pray our faith would cling to you in times like this. We might preach the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.